was of a, of a series on, uh, that I believe the Lord's given to me for this hour uh, dealing with eschatology, the study of end times, the study of the final things. You know, it's just human nature to want to know what the future holds. All of us want to know what's our family going to look like? What's my health going to look like in five years? Uh, where am I going to be financially? We want to know what the future holds. We want to know what's happening in the world and what's going to happen around us. And you know the disciples of Jesus were the same way that we are. They wanted to know, and they asked the Lord in Matthew 24, they asked Jesus, what would be the sign uh, of the end of the age and the sign of your coming? I believe there were two different thoughts in that one question uh, that were answered so well by the Lord Jesus, and we'll get to those in just a moment, Matthew 24. But I believe that uh, all you must do is look around today at the conditions that are prevailing in our society, in our nation, and around the world, and you've got to think, hey, you know, this can't continue forever. Something's going to have to change. Um, and the world system, the world order, must change at some future point in time. Just as other dispensations have ended and a time of new beginnings has arrived, even so, this present dispensation will come to an end. And a new day will dawn, a new order, if you will, will come to this earth, to this planet. Um, every single dispensation in human history has ended with tragic failure, failure of man, man's efforts to govern himself, man's efforts to chart his own course. They've always fallen short. While at the same time, man has ignored God and ignored his directions and ignored his commandments. And so this present time frame or this dispensation is no different in that respect and will end in war, it will end in strife, it will end in confusion, it will end in total chaos, apocalypse, if you will. Say, so, wow, preacher, that's uh, not a real positive message you're sharing this morning. Oh, but wait, it gets better. For the child of God, <laughs> for the child of God, we've got a rapture ahead of us, we've got a marriage supper of the Lamb ahead of us, we've got some rewards ahead of us. Oh, by the way, we're coming back at the second coming to see Jesus destroy his enemies. And by the way, when he sets up his thousand-year reign on the earth from Jerusalem, you and I are going to be his ambassadors to the nations. We're going to rule the angels, we're going to rule the nations, we're going to rule the people. We will rule and reign with him as kings and priests. Now that, my friend, is the good news. Amen. So if you have uh, heard me teach before on, on uh, Bible prophecy, you recognize real quickly, I'm a dispensationalist kind of a guy. I believe that there are dispensations of time or, or, or um, uh, time frames. That's simply what a dispensation means. It's an age. It's a, it's a time frame. It has a beginning. It has an end. Then another one begins and it ends and so forth. So in God's dealings with man, you can look at the scripture and you can see the dispensations of human time. And all, all you have to do is look at the cross of Calvary and realize that something new began. There was an old order, there was the law, and there was a dispensation called the time frame or the dispensation of the law, okay? And it ended at Calvary because Jesus came, my friend, to fulfill the law. He said, I, I'm not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. So he fulfilled it with his perfect life. All of the commands of God, all the demands of God that were written in the law, you and I could never keep those commandments. Never, ever. The law was simply a schoolmaster that brought us to Jesus. It taught us of our sinfulness and our, our sinful nature. It taught us how unworthy we were before, without God's uh, uh, righteousness. And so when Jesus came, Calvary represented everything to us because Jesus took our place. He took our sin. He took our unrighteousness. And he bore it in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin might live unto, unto Christ, live unto gain, live unto what he has for us. So we passed from death unto life when we accepted what Jesus did at the cross of Calvary. If you're thankful for the cross, give him a shout of amen. amen. So the cross was the end of one time frame, and it was the beginning of a new one, a new one. Jesus told his disciples, if you recall, uh, on the, the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, Paul said to the Corinthian church, and he broke it, and he said, take eat, this is my body, which is given for you, given for us. They'd never heard that before. 
These Jews had been through Passover every year of their life since they were just a little bitty pot. Every year at that time, the family would celebrate. They'd come together with what's called a Seder meal, S-E-D-E-R, Seder meal. And they would, uh, they would uh, take that meal in a certain order that, that was uh, commanded of them. They would drink the wine and they would eat the unleavened bread. And they would remember, it was a time of remembrance, and they would remember that the death angel passed over the Jews and brought them deliverance in Egypt. They would remember that God spoke to a man by the name of Moses at a burning bush. They would remember that, that, uh, that all of the Egyptians lost their firstborn uh, humans, the firstborn cattle, the firstborn donkeys. All of the firstborn were killed that night in that last and final plague that was poured out on the Egyptians, but the people of God were protected. I said the people of God were covered. I said the people of God living in the land of Goshen didn't have to worry about it because the blood of the lamb was on the doorpost and the blood of the lamb was on the lintel and the blood of the lamb represented a cross and thousands of years before the cross even happened, men and women were looking forward to the cross. They were looking forward realizing the blood is what's brought us salvation. The blood is what's protected us. And so they would celebrate every year this Passover meal and together they would celebrate. Usually, typically, it was the young person at the meal. In this case, it would have been Philip. And uh, the youngest person would have asked the, the host of the meal. In this case, it's the Lord Jesus. And he would have said to him, uh, he would have said to him, tell us about the Passover. Tell us about our history. Tell us the story again. And although they had all heard the story every year at Passover time, yet this was different. Jesus was instituting something. He was inaugurating something. He took the bread, and rather than just giving the bread to them, he said, this is my body. Wait, wait a minute. Wait, that's, I've never heard that. Uh, in our, this, is, this is unusual to me. I, this liturgy is totally different than anything I've ever heard. Um, Sabrina, could you bring a little water when you head that way, please? A little bit of water for this old boy up here. He's a little dry. Thank you. Thank you much. <laughs> So the liturgy was different than anything that ever heard. He said, take this, this bread, this is my body, which is given for you. Then he, he took the cup, and after he had blessed the cup, he gave it to them, and he said, take and drink it, this is my blood. Thank you, dear. Appreciate that. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what Jesus was saying to his disciples, and what he says to us today is I am the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. My bloodshed is all that's necessary to bring you salvation. It's not the blood plus your works. It's not the blood plus your church attendance. It's not the, the blood plus your membership in some specific group. It's not the blood and how much plus how much you can give. It's not the blood and how hard you work. It's the blood alone. The blood alone has brought us salvation. And Jesus was saying, I am the Lamb of God and I am your Passover. And ever since Jesus became our Passover 2,000 years ago, then it's not necessary for us to observe the Passover feast, although we recognize what God did. Yet we as Gentiles are grafted into the vine and we are not, it's not necessary for us to celebrate that every year. Now, if you want to celebrate Passover every year, that's fine. And I'm, I'm good with that. You can do that if you like. Just be careful to not go back into the law keeping that we were set free from. Just don't go back into uh, the works of the flesh that we were set free, set free from. Recognize Jesus was our Passover. Just like he has fulfilled every one of those feasts for us, he is our Passover lamb and he died. And when he died at the cross, that, that ushered in a new age. It ushered in a new covenant. He said, I'm making a new covenant with you. It's a covenant of my blood in my body. This is it. When you take this, you're, you're, you are, are, are symbolizing and you're recognizing the fact that you're part of me and that I'm part of you. And we're, we're in this thing together. And that my my work at Calvary has done the work of setting you free. And so the disciples gladly took the bread and gladly took the cup. And Jesus instituted a new covenant. Everyone say a new covenant. The writer of the book of Hebrews declares that this covenant is higher than the angels and greater than anything you can imagine. It's greater than the old covenant. It's not based on works and merit and, and keeping the law and, and, and keeping all the restrictions and observing the Sabbath and doing all the things that were necessary to fulfill that law. Forget it, man. You can never do it. There's too many regulations, too many things that it's just above human uh, comprehension. It's above human ability to achieve. Therefore, someone needed to come and fulfill the law for us. And I'm thankful his name is Jesus and he did it 2,000 years ago. 
Woo, hallelujah. So a new era, a new dispensation, a new time frame began. God's way of thinking, God's mind and his economy. We, we, in our little finite brains, we could just kind of look at it, figure out a few things, but oh my, t- let me tell you, tell you, my friend, he has got a plan. He's got a purpose. He has a design. And the beauty of this thing is that you fit into it. Now, he doesn't design the universe for you. It doesn't, it doesn't all fit around you and everything he's doing and everything he's hoping to do fits around you. No, no, no. You fit into what he's doing. That's why we need to pray, Lord, don't just bless what I'm doing. But what are you doing? Let me get into what you're doing, and, and, and I know you'll bless that. Let me do what you're blessing. Does that make sense? Let me, read, let me redo that. Instead of saying, Lord, bless what I'm doing, we should pray, Lord, help me to do what you're blessing. What are you interested in? What's your heart? What, what's your reason for my being here? Why am I on this planet? I know there's got to be some reason beyond what I've discovered. There's got to be something greater. There's something on the inside of me that, that says there's something greater because God has set eternity in the hearts of men. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, born again or lost, I want you to know we have a bit of eternity that's placed on the inside of us. There's something that cries out, the deep cries out to the deep things of God. And our spirit says, I'm not content. I'm not satisfied until I have a walk with God and relationship with him that is vital and that is alive and means something and touches people's lives. Listen, that's why you're on this planet. Discover that. Get in in touch with what God's doing. Get plugged in in Jesus' name. Whoo, hallelujah. That's kind of a short bottle. You want a short sermon? Is that what you're wanting? Could have brought me a tall one. So Matthew 24, I'll take my text from this, this morning. And um, I, I mentioned last week, I think it was last Sunday or maybe Wednesday night, I, I get them all kind of confused sometimes, but I mentioned we were going to be talking about the Antichrist, the one who is opposed to Christ, the one who attempts to take the place of Christ. So that's what the word anti means. It means opposed to or in, or in place of. So when you put that, that prefix in front of Christ, you're looking at someone, some man, uh, part of a system that opposes Christ's work and what he came from heaven to do, and it attempts to um, circumvent the work of Christ and take the place of Christ. So we will see in the last days, I believe we'll see um, him rise in his power uh, after the rapture of the church. Some people believe it'll be before the rapture, um, and that's fine. You're entitled to your opinion, but when, when you re- want a, a real opinion, come talk to me. I'll give you one. I'll give you mine. <laughs> And I believe, I believe that, that the rapture of the church, God takes us away, and then that ushers in, um, that ushers in the work of the Antichrist. Uh, and I believe that because of, of, of passages that teach us that he, that he who restrains, being the work of the Holy Spirit, being the church, we're restraining, we're holding back lawlessness. All right, does that make sense? We're holding back the forces of evil. The gates of hell are not prevailing against his church. He's called us to be salt, which, make, which adds flavor and zest. He's called, salt also makes men and women thirsty for God. Salt also has a way of, of, pure, of, uh, of um, purifying and, um, uh, word I'm looking for, preserving, to preserve meats and so forth. Anyone here ever rubbed, a, rubbed salt on a ham or rubbed salt on some other kind of a, of a, a piece of, of, of meat or something? You rub salt on it so it won't decay. And uh, before the days of refrigeration, there was a lot of, of salt being poured on a lot of, of meat and so forth. Uh, if you wanted to keep it from, from rotting, if you want to keep it preserved and so forth. So when Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, he said, you're there in this, in the, on this planet. You're in this social order. You're in this um, generation to, to add salt, to make men and women thirsty for God, to add zest and flavor, but also to, 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 to preserve and to hold back the decay and the rot and the total destruction and the total annihilation that is to come. We're holding it back as the church. One of these days, the church is not going to be on the planet. I don't know what they're going to do this building when we're gone, Shirley. I'm not sure what's going to happen. I don't think we're really going to mind. We'll We'll be in the presence of Jesus. They can turn it into a hay barn. I don't know what they're going to do with it. But I know it's a beautiful place for us to worship right now while we're in this planet. But it's coming a day we're not going to be here anymore. 
The children of God are going to be caught up and we're going to be spending time with Jesus and it's going to be a glorious, wonderful occasion. But, but not, all, not all are going to go. When the salt of the earth leaves, that which preserves, that which, been, which has been holding back the spirit of lawlessness, then that son of perdition, that, that man of lawlessness will be revealed and he will be revealed as the anti-Christ. Now, um, I'm not going to be able to get into the study on the Antichrist uh, this morning. I might touch a few things, but I'm preparing and I've got it ready for next week or the next week after that. I don't know. I don't know exactly, Rick, we're gonna get, when we're going to get to it, but we're going to get there. All right, but let me just say a couple things about the Antichrist before we go any further in Matthew 24. David Rockefeller, who was uh, a billionaire uh, globalist. I don't know if you know that about his life, but he was a globalist. In other words, he believed that all nations should eradicate their borders, that all nations should share a common um, uh, currency, that all the nations of the world, all 200 of them, uh, should have a centralized government uh, form. Uh, the autonomy of nations, globalists don't like that. They want to eradicate that. And they have their own reasons, they have their own logic, and and, and they really feel like in their heart they're doing the right thing. So there's currently an incredibly strong movement by a number of billionaires uh, around the world who are combining their resources and uh, doing what they can to bring about a new world order. You remember those words, new world order? I mentioned last week, I think it was, that the first time I remember hearing a, uh, a world leader mention that term, it was George Herbert W. Bush. It was George Bush the first. <clears throat> what was he like, number 41, I think, something like that? So George Bush, the daddy now, not George W. from Texas, but George W., George Herbert W., um, he was the first one I can remember in the early 90s, or whenever it was, no, I'm, I'm trying to get the date right now, but I heard him talking about a new world order. What we need in the earth today is a new world order. And I, boy, my ears picked, well, wait a minute, hold it, hold it. And then I began to study and I began to realize there's this huge movement around the world uh, by, by people of influence, people uh, who have uh, monetary means, people who are uh, very prestigious in government and other areas around the world. And they, they want to see one world government, one world monetary system, uh, one, relig one world religion. How many know that's not going to be Christianity? I, I mean, we're going to do the best we can. We're going to win as many as we can. But there's coming a day we're going to be gone. All the Christians are gone. And so this man of perdition, this man of lawlessness, is going to rise to the front and he's going to have all the answers. Now, I believe we're so close to the rapture and the second advent of the Lord Jesus, I believe in my heart that the Antichrist as a person is already living. I believe he's already an adult. Uh, I believe he's probably in power somewhere in the earth. He's got, well, I'm getting into my message from, from next week. All right, so, so let me give you a, a couple of quotes. In 19, let's see, David Rockefeller, this billionaire globalist, said, and I quote, all we need is the right major crisis and the nations will accept the new world order. All we need is the right major crisis and the nations will receive a new world order. Uh, a few ideas how the globalists intend to implement their plan, socialized medicine, gun control, big government, high taxes, Population reduction. Do you know the globalists don't want the world's population at six or seven billion? They say our, our planet can better handle about 500 million, about a half a billion. So their plans are to bring, you're going to think I'm nuts when I finish saying this, but their plans are to bring the population of the world from where it is now at seven to eight billion people down to less than a billion people, right at about a half a billion. They've estimated all their wisdom and, and their foreknowledge. They, they've estimated that that's what the planet can, can hold, that number. That's a whole lot easier to control by, by a group than it is 
as vast as it is today, it's heavily populated. So population control is huge for these people. Not just control, but reduction. Um, immigration is an issue. They want cheap labor and open borders. They want affordable housing for all. Uh, environmentalism is huge. And in fact, environmentalism with, with uh, global warming, which is now called climate change, it'll be called something else in another 10 years, but that has already segued with, with uh, a lot of movements we're seeing today that are uh, like what I'm talking about, the globalist movement. Um, one of their plans is to increase the debt. Another is to increase poverty and have an international welfare. Their, their plan is to promote class warfare, not welfare, warfare. Class warfare, where, where this class is at odds with that class. And we don't ever get along. We, 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 there's, always, there's always contention and strife. Um, another part of the plan is no religion, but a single pagan religion. And finally, the last point in, in their doctrine and their, their thesis is to destroy the family. To destroy the family. Now, I'm talking about people who are basically, by and large, atheists. Who don't believe there's a God. Or they're agnostics. They believe, eh, maybe a God, but he doesn't have anything to do with my life. He doesn't relate to me. He doesn't pertain to me. He's not even... If I were to pray, he wouldn't even listen to me. And so when that's your mindset, then you don't have a problem destroying the family if you think you've got a better idea. Uh, Hillary Clinton had an idea to, um, to let the village raise the child. It takes a village to raise a child, she said. And to expand out beyond a nuclear family of a husband, a wife, mom and a dad and some children... And that needs to be reconstructed. That, as a matter of fact, why don't we just legalize a homosexual marriage in America in the year 2015? Why the Supreme Court will rule and President Obama will light up the White House in rainbow colors and will celebrate the fact that now we have arrived. We're now enlightened, we in America, as many of the, of the nations of the world are. We're now enlightened to the fact that realize that marriage is... Whoever you want to marry, whoever you love, if you love them, that should be enough. After all, love wins. And so this, was, this is a part of, of the attack on the, the family. God loves the family. God has a plan for the family and for your family, whether yours is a family of one or a family of 12. God loves you and has a plan for your family. But the enemy wants to destroy the family. Let me tell you something. The family is the basic building block of the church. I'm going to back up and say that again. I'm going to say the family is the basic building block of the church. Let me say that again until I get some amens. <laughs> Are you listening to me? Not all families look like my family. Thank you, Jesus. We all have dysfunction. We all have a mess. You know, none of us are perfect. But we're working on it. We're loving our children. We're doing our best to guide the house. We're doing our best to make a living. We're doing our best to, to, to make an, live an example before those around us and influence those in our sphere of influence. I've been real impressed. Um, I haven't even told Lisa this. But I'm going to put Lisa John on the spot. Um, recently... Um, Lisa, how long ago was it that your nephew passed? I'm sorry? It's been two years. Two years ago, Lisa had a nephew who passed away, and he was very close to her. In fact, I, I gained a real insight into, into Native Americans' concepts of family. I mean, I always knew it was tight and close and such, but she was telling me that her love for that nephew was like the love of a mother for a child. It wasn't her biological child. He was a nephew. You're one of your sister's boys? You see, you don't have any brothers, do you? Okay, all right. So, so I began to realize, hey, wait a minute. Now, this is precious. This is outstanding. This is the mind of the Lord that we love, not only in our nuclear family, but we love in our extended family. And we reach out and we care for other members of our family. I remember um, <clears throat> several years ago, it's been over 20 years ago now, my dad passed away in 1997. 
My dad was the patriarch of our, of our clan. He really was. And uh, we all looked to him. We all leaned on him and, and uh, derived support from him. He was always so strong. And uh, he passed away in 1997. The night he died, I was in his room and, um, in intensive care, and uh, he was unconscious. He, he, the cancer had gone to his brain, and, and it was just a matter of time till he would slip over from this dimension to the next, spend the rest of eternity with the Lord Jesus. Dad preached about 50 years of his life, something like that. And um, so anyway, that night, uh, my brother was with me, and I laid hands on my dad. I said, Dad, I realize you can't do anything. You're just laying there. You, I don't know if you can hear me or what, but, but I know the Spirit of God is in this room, and I know he can hear me. And so I'm just laying hands on my dad, because you can't lay hands on me, but I'm laying hands on you. I put a hand on his little bald head, a hand on his, on his arm that used to be massive and strong, and now he just emaciated. It's really sad. You know, many of y'all know what it's like to see a family member die like this. And so I laid hands on my daddy and I said, Lord, I'll take the anointing that was on his life because he's not going to need that here on this planet. <laughs> I don't know what you anoint him with when they get to heaven, but whatever the anointing on his life here, I, I would like to have that, please. And I'll take that. And I made a vow to the Lord. I said, I will, I will be the, the, the patriarch of our family. And that includes a lot of extended family members. Not so many anymore, but a lot. I'll, I'll bury them when it's time to bury them. I'll marry them when it's time to marry them. I'll pray for the sick. I'll, I'll be available. I'll teach them. I'll teach my grandchildren. I'll teach my children. I'll do what you've called me to do, Lord. I'll take that on, my, on, my, on myself because I believe that the family is a building block, whether it's, a, whether it's two or three or four or 12 or 15 or, or 20, however your, big your family is, God wants you to make it strong. He wants you to work on your family. Somebody say amen. Let me give you another quote, and then we're going to move on. Um, this gentleman's name is Paul Henry Spack, S-P-A-A-K, and he was involved with, uh, with NATO, the leader of NATO in 1957. This is how far back this language is going. Are you ready? Here's what this man said, the leader of NATO, which, of course, is the North American Treaty Organization. It's been around a long time. He said, what we want is a man of sufficient status, stature to hold the alliances of all people and to lift us. When he's saying us, he's talking about multiple nations. Lift us out of the economic morass into which we are sinking. Send us such a man, and be he God or devil, we will receive him. Now that's chilling when I read those words. 1957. We need a man. We need one man to lift us out of this. And one who can hold the alliance of all, pe all people. He said, send him to us and be he God or be he a devil, we will receive him. And that's exactly what the planet's going to do. They're going to receive a man who's not of God. He will appear to be of God because I believe the church will be gone. He will appear. All, 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 his, all his appearances are... But this guy's got it all together. He's got all the answers. And uh, the, the earth will receive, the people will receive him. Okay. So let's go to Matthew chapter 24 and read uh, as the disciples said, Lord, show us the sign of your coming and of the end of the age, the end of this dispensation. And so Jesus said, watch out. Everybody say, watch out. Watch out that no one deceives you. So number one, the first sign is going to be deceit. Then he said in verse 5, um, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and, I will, and, and they will deceive many. So there's the second sign, false messiahs, false Christians. Next verse he says, or same verse he says, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Now let's hold on that verse for just a moment. Here we go. Nation rising against nation. The word nation here in the Greek is, ethn is, is uh, ethnos. And we get the word ethnic or ethnicity from the word ethnos. So if I'm reading this correctly, 
Jesus wasn't saying that it will be a geopolitical nation rising against a geopolitical nation, although that's certainly what's, what's been happening uh, in the world. I believe he was saying a people group is going to rise up against a people group. And we've seen that throughout the Middle East. We're seeing that in America. We're seeing people groups rising up against people groups and demanding things and storming things and burning things. And if you didn't know any better, if you were just to visit uh, uh, America from outer space, you'd think we were, we were in the middle of a civil war. You'd think we're in the middle of a race war with people groups rising against people groups. Not able to get along, not able to, to, to coexist, but one demanding supremacy over the other. Jesus prophesied and said, this is a sign of the end of the, of the age. Here it comes. Then he said, there's going to be famine and there's going to be earthquake in various places. Can you believe that in America we're on the, we're on the verge of famine in certain regards? Thank you, coronavirus lockdown pandemic. We're on the verge of, of fa famine. The wealthiest nation on the planet. We have so much food in the supermarket, you, can't, you, you couldn't buy it all, no matter how much money you had. We, there's always more. You go in, there's always more. There's more food and more food. Well, how, how can you say we're in the midst of a, we're on the threshold of a famine, Pastor? Well, all it takes is one more catastrophe during this crisis. I understand we have a couple of hurricanes that are about to hit our Gulf Coast too at once. I don't know that that's ever happened before. I don't know where they're at now. They may have made landfall. Y'all might know more about it than I. But all it would take would be a few more catastrophes and, and, and all of a sudden the nation, some of y'all have been telling me you go to the grocery store and they don't have a certain product. We're sold out. There's a meat shortage. There's this kind of shortage and that kind of shortage. Back when this first started, I went and visited one of our stores and I was buying some things for Glenda. And I got to talking to one of the men who worked there. He was trying to stock shelves. And I asked him about it. He said, you know, when we go order this food, we're ordering it from our wholesaler, and they don't have it. And they won't have it for 90 days. They won't have it for six months. So what they're telling us. So we have to get an alternate product. And fortunately in America, we have some alternate products. But hey, did you ever think you'd see a day in America when we didn't have things on the shelf, when there was a shortage of any kind of a food? That, my friend, is a famine in a various place. Now, there's not a whole lot of us that are missing any meals. All right? We're all doing pretty well in that category. But I want to tell you, around the world, men and women and families and people groups are suffering with famine. It's unbelievable unbelievable what they do not have to eat. Famine, earthquakes. You've heard me talk about earthquakes before. Um, if you study earthquakes, you'll, just, you'll find out that every decade, uh, for about four or five decades in a row, earthquakes were doubling in number in America. Now, they're not just doubling. They're just, they're, it's an exponential growth in earthquakes in the United States as well as around the world. Then in verse 7, he talks about pestilence and famine and earthquakes. Verse 9, he talks about affliction and attempted destruction of the Jewish people. Let's look at verse 9. Can we bring that up? <clears throat> there we go. You will be handed over to be persecuted. You, the Jews, remember Jesus is speaking to his disciples. You will be put to death. You will be hated by all nations because of me. If that's not a prophecy that's been fulfilled in our lifetime, I don't know what is. But the Jews have been hated by everybody. I just can't trust them Jews. I don't like them Jews. I just hate the Jews. Really? Why do you hate the Jews? Oh, I don't know. I just hate them. My daddy hated them. My grandpa hated them. We just don't like them. We don't like them at all. Really? Did you know they're God's people? Well, <clears throat> did you know Jesus was a Jew? Well, <laughs> did you know they're responsible the Jews, for giving us our entire Bible, Old and New Testament. Every writer was a Jew. Oh, really? Well, I, I didn't know all that. See, the Jews are God's chosen people. And he, he says in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, Abraham, and I will curse those who curse you. So be careful when you're cursing the Jewish people. They are hated by all the nations around the world. Then in verse 10, he prophesies and says, there will be a time of hatred and betrayal. 
Then in verse number 11, there will be false prophets arising, deceiving many. Verse 12, iniquity will abound and the love of many will grow cold. Then in verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, all people groups, and then the end will come. We're in the place now in uh, missiology or the study of missions that uh, we find that around the world there are fewer and fewer unreached people groups. Um, there used to be thousands and thousands of people groups in the world who never been reached with the gospel. But that number is shrinking and shrinking and shrinking as, as men and women are going and as you and I are supporting and through our church and other churches and we're doing what we can for world missions. And now, thankfully, people groups are being reached. The gospel of the kingdom is being preached to the ends of the earth. So we who are living in this generation, we've seen many of these signs unfold before our eyes. People who read and believe the Bible know that the end is near. We know the end is at hand. So it is our duty and our obligation to witness and to warn others as never before. Look with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter number 10 and verse 25. Hebrews 10 and 25. <clears throat> we are to not give up meeting together. The King James says forsake not. We're not to forsake. We're not to... We're not to um, Count it something light and just give up the meeting together. What we're doing today is we're meeting together. If you're watching us online, I'm so grateful that you are and you're welcome and we, we want you to share this uh, video. We want you to like it. We want you to uh, go to our YouTube and subscribe. That's what they tell me you should do and then share it with a friend and so forth. But I want to tell you that does not take the place of meeting together. The writer of the Hebrews says we need to not forsake meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another. So if, I, if, I'm, if I'm reading that properly, um, uh, assemble together and, um, and, and, and encourage one another because when you don't assemble together, you are discouraging one another. Am I right? In, am I taking that to the right uh, balance? I, there's something about meeting together that encourages, lifts up, ministers to. But then there's something when you don't meet with the body and you don't care about the body and you don't show up and you don't give and you don't, you don't love other people, that's discouraging. If nobody else is dis it discourages, it discourages your pastor. Trust me, I don't like to see empty chairs. <laughs> Let's get busy. Let's fill the chairs. Somebody say amen. So, so, it, so it, meeting together is an encouragement to other believers. And all the more as you see the day approaching, the day approaching. We should be meeting together. It should be more important to us. Encouraging others should be more important to us. Even more as we see the day approaching. Even more as we're getting closer to the day of the Lord. I told you last week the, that phrase day of the Lord is mentioned 21 times in your, in your New Testament. The day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. It's the ushering in of this new world order, this new age that I'm telling you about. Pastor's a new age preacher. Yeah, I am. It's the, it's the new age of the Lord Jesus Christ ruling from Jerusalem for a thousand years of peace. That's the new age I'm looking for. Amen. So the next worldwide event on God's schedule is the coming of the Lord, the day of the Lord. I, I told you the, the, that the, the second coming is mentioned over 300 times in the New Testament. Paul the Apostle refers to it 50 times. Um, it occupies one out of every 25 verses from Matthew to Revelation. It is one of the most important doctrines in the entire Bible, and it is the next worldwide event on God's timetable. Now, I took the last couple of weeks to talk about the, uh, the second coming, the second advent, and I felt it necessary to take this week to at least help you to understand the difference between the second coming and the rapture of the church. They are two separate events. The coming of the Lord has two different uh, definite stages that are revealed in the scripture. And when we don't distinguish between the stages, we will have confusion 
and not understand what's being said. So God wants us to understand. Can you say amen to that? He wants us to understand. So here are the, here are the stages. Number one, the rapture of the church and the resurrection of the righteous dead. Okay, those are simultaneous. Resurrection of the righteous dead. You say, well, Pastor, what about the unrighteous dead? The unrighteous dead, just their body just stays put. But the righteous dead will be changed in a moment, the twinkling of an eye. The corruptible shall put on incorruption. The mortal shall put on immortality. We shall be changed. All right? So the rapture and the resurrection of the righteous dead occurs before the tribulation. It is the catching away of the saints rather than a coming to earth of the saints. The Christians or saints are caught up to meet Christ in the air, going upward into heaven, caught up. The resurrection of the righteous dead takes place at the same precise moment. Let me just ask you a question. How many of you in this room have a loved one who has died and their faith and trust was in the Lord Jesus Christ and you know that they're the righteous dead? Would you raise your hand, please? That is every one of us in the room. Just about every one of us in the room. We all have someone that we know of who died in the Lord. But listen, what I'm sharing with you this morning is encouraging. What I'm sharing to you this morning is comforting. You may say, well, Pastor, I, I don't know. It sounds pretty bleak. Well, it's going to be bleak for the world. It's not going to end well for the planet or for the social order on the planet that we know of as the world. It's not going to end well. But for a child of God, I'm telling you, it's going to have a great and glorious finish. We're going to wrap this thing up in victory. It's not everything falling apart. It's everything falling into place. God has a plan, my friend, and he's working his plan in these last days. So rewards will be given. The marriage supper of the Lamb will be enacted. We will be with him in heaven while the earth is under the great tribulation. Go with me, I believe, 1 Corinthians 15 and 51. Can we go there, please? Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. Ooh, hallelujah. And we will be changed. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 15. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen fallen asleep. In other words, we're not going to go before the dead. They're going to rise first. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. You see that? The dead in Christ first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, to meet the Lord in the air. So, so we're talking then about the rapture of the church, which is the first stage uh, of, the, of this second coming, you might say, all right? Then the second stage is the second advent or the second coming, the literal second coming. This occurs after the tribulation. So the rapture is first. He, we meet the Lord in the air. He doesn't touch down on the earth. We meet him in the air. We go up, dead in Christ, arise first, then we which are alive and remain will be caught up. The word uh, caught up is, uh, is not found in your King James or your revised version of the Bible, but it is found in the Latin version and several other ver versions. The word rapture comes from the word used in the Latin version of 1 Thessalonians 4.17, translating a Greek word meaning to catch or snatch away. That's where the word rapture comes from, to snatch and catch away. This great event could take place at any moment. It is imminent. I don't believe there's another prophecy to be fulfilled. I believe it is imminent that it is going to happen, and it's going to happen soon in Jesus' name. So the rapture refers uh, to believers like us who are ready and we go to be with the Lord. Then comes the second coming. So you've got the rapture, 
and then you got saints with the Lord, all right? While we're with the Lord, there's this thing called the marriage supper of the Lamb, this incredible feast that God has been preparing for 6,000 years. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's going to be amazing. At which we're going to receive our, our rewards. One scripture says he's coming with his rewards are with him. So we meet the Lord, the rewards are ours, and on the earth is seven earth years. Seven years from, from rapture to second coming or second advent. Seven years. So they cannot possibly be the same event. They're separated by at least seven years on the earth, and that's going to be the time of tribulation. I believe the Antichrist will be, will be revealed maybe right before the rapture, maybe right after the rapture. I'm not real sure. But hey, listen, if the rapture could happen any time, that he could be revealed any time. He could be revealed right away. It may be something we've been hearing about him in the news already. Maybe some of us, we've already, we already know his name. Didn't, we didn't realize it. I know for years, probably for as long as the church has been around, people have tried to determine who's the Antichrist. Who's the Antichrist? Who is he? Is he Kissinger? Is it Ronald Reagan? Is it the Pope? Who's the Antichrist? Listen, I'm more interested in seeing Christ than I am in seeing the Antichrist. I'm... I just want to know my relationship with the Lord Jesus is right and that he's going to come one of these days for me and he has some rewards he wants to hand out to me and I'm going to eat. I don't know what we're going to eat, but it's going to be wonderful and uh, we're going to spend seven years with him. Then at the end of that, we're coming back to the earth uh, and, and at that moment, the Lord Jesus will touch down on uh, the Mount of Olives, Zechariah chapter 14 declares, and when he does, the earth is going to split and there's going to be this cataclysmic event where there's an earthquake that splits the earth from the Mount of Olives all the way down uh, to Jericho, down in that, that Jordan Valley down in there. And the Lord Jesus will set up his earthly kingdom. He will rule from the throne of his forefather, David, for a thousand years of peace. Somebody say amen. So when he comes, the battle of Armageddon is, is, is all set up and ready to go. The Antichrist has broken his treaty with Israel at some point in the uh, Great Tribulation, perhaps at the halfway point, perhaps three and a half years into it, he's no longer seen as this man of peace, this man with all the answers, the man who's, who's able to rule the world. All of a sudden now, he's given himself over to the powers of, of, of darkness. Satan has empowered him, and he goes into the third temple of the Jews, and he throws everything out and establishes an idol to himself. And he declares that everyone must worship him. Not only must you worship me, but you must have my mark. There's a number, there's a mark, there's a man. And you must have my mark. And my mark shall be placed on your right hand or on your forehead. And without that, you'll not be able to buy or sell. And I might add, you'll not be able to be employed without that mark. You'll not be able to start a business or go to your job. or You, talk, you want to talk about a lockdown when the Antichrist comes in full power and so forth. We'll talk more about him next week or the weeks to come. But the rapture of the church is not referring to uh, uh, Israel. It's not referring to, uh, to anyone else. It's referring to the church. The revelation of the rapture was given uh, to the church through the Apostle Paul. Most of the events spoken in by Christ in Matthew 24, which I've given you, are concerning Israel and the second coming, not the rapture of the church. Did you hear me? Most of the events in Matthew 24, okay, the signs of the end of the age, um, earthquakes, famine, uh, false messiahs, uh, Luke 21 even, even mentions um, strange occurrences in the skies, like I would classify that as, uh, as solar flares and... Um, meteors and um, um, I would classify that as like hurricanes and tornadoes and things that we've seen uh, at an incredible pace in the, the last few years. And so all those things are a sign that the end is coming. But they don't relate to the rapture. The rapture is, is, is before the second coming, all right? At least seven years. So we see a distinction in God's plan for Israel and his plan for the church. And if we don't see that, we'll never understand clearly when these events will occur and exactly who would be affected by them. Let me give you one verse in, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 32. I don't think I've got it on the screen, but let me just throw it at you. It's, it's 1 Corinthians 10, 32. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, 
nor to the church of God. Okay? In that one verse, you see a distinction between the Jews, the Gentiles, and the church. So there's a distinction. So Jesus uh, all believed in the rapture. He believed in the rapture. He spoke of it. Um, he spoke of the second coming 21 times, I think it is. The angels, the early church, the writers of the New Testament, they all believe very strongly in this truth. Let me show you. John chapter 14, verse 3. Jesus says, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Acts 1.11, the angels said, this same Jesus shall come in like manner. 1 Corinthians 1 and 7, we're waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the words of Paul. Um, again, Paul in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, judge nothing until the Lord comes. Philippians 3, our citizenship is in heaven from which we look for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're looking to heaven. Why are you looking to heaven? Didn't he just die and was buried and, 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 and ascended? Why, why are you looking to heaven? Because he's coming back. Amen. Philippians 4, 5, the Lord is at hand. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 6, 14, keep this commandment until the appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ. James 5 and 8, be also patient for the coming of the Lord draws nigh. Listen, is this, is this encouraging anybody? Is this comforting anybody? Is this ministering to anybody besides me? This is good stuff. James says, be patient for the coming of the Lord is near. It's drawing nigh. Be patient. Child of God, be patient. Come on, be patient. Jesus is coming soon. And when he shall appear, 1 John 3, we shall be like him. Revelation 3.11, Jesus says, Behold, I come quickly. And then in Revelation 22, one of the last phrases, uh, last thing that Jesus said, he said, Surely I come quickly. So the hope of the church is to be raptured before the tribulation. I'll give you some passages. You can write them down. I'm just going to shoot them at you rapid fire. You ready? Uh, Luke 21.36, Watch therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, for God has not appointed us to wrath or anger. God's not appointed you to his anger. God's not gonna pour out his anger on you, the church, whom he loves and purchased with his own blood. 1 Thessalonians 1 and 10, wait for his son who delivered us from the wrath to come. Revelation 3, 10, because as thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation. That can be translated tribulation, which shall come upon the earth. The one final one, it's Titus 2.13. We are looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, to escape the tribulation is the great hope of the church. It's the hope of the church. I said it's the hope of the church. People need hope. The church needs hope. You've got family members that need hope. They need somebody to, they need somebody to just say, listen, I heard, I heard the pastor talking about the rapture this morning. You know, Jesus is coming back. In fact, Paul talk, talk, talking to the Thessalonians, the first Thessalonians 4, verse 18, he says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Be comforted, child of God. Know that, that it, it's, not, it's not all falling apart. It's falling into place. God's plan and God's design will be accomplished and will be carried out. Nothing can stop him. I said nothing can stop him. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. Stand with me, please, would you? Wow. I told you that at that moment of the rapture, the great resurrection of the righteous dead will take place. It's not a resurrection for everyone. There's another Resurrection a thousand years later, it's for the unjust. Revelation 20 and 5 says, The rest of the dead lived not again until the 1,000 years were finished. It's Revelation 20 and 5, verse 5. So, the moment of resurrection when the rapture occurs and we're caught up, we're going to be caught up with our loved ones, family members, and friends. Beloved, it doesn't yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, 
we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Did you know you're going to, be, you're going to see him? Now, the rapture's going to happen so fast, we won't, we won't see anything. We're just like, whoop, and we're with him, just like that. A moment, twinkling of an eye, the clothes, you're, if, the, if this were to happen right now, there'd be piles of clothes everywhere. Just, we don't need them. Glorified bodies, and, you know, hearing aids, glasses, false teeth, pacemakers. All those things you don't even want anybody to talk about. Hey, we're going to be like him. He's going to change us. You say, man, pastor, that's a big order. That's a tall order. How can he do all that? Well, how can he, how can he put all the stars into space? How can he name them? How can he keep this planet turning in just the right rotation? I can tell you when the sun's going to come up and when it's going to go down. He's a great God. Can you say amen to that? Great and mighty are you, Lord. Come on, let's just take a moment and close our eyes and lift our hands toward heaven and let us worship the Lord together. Hallelujah. Let's worship him for the hope of the church. Let's worship him that he is coming again. Let's worship him that we are not destined for, 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 for uh, the wrath of God, the anger of God, the tribulation that is set aside for those who don't trust Christ. No, that's not for us. That's for unbelievers. It's for those who have rejected him. 2,000 years of mercy. They've rejected, rejected, rejected. But in his justice, he must come again. This great judge, and he will judge the nations, and he will judge the earth. He will judge those who are, who are, are out of the, the ark of safety. But thank God, come on church, we have reason to rejoice this morning. Yes, we do. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's sing that song, everybody. The King is coming. Yes. The King is coming. I just heard the trumpet sounding. And now his face I see. Oh, the King is coming. The King is coming. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. He's coming for me. He's coming. Yes. Come on, let's sing it one more time, everybody. Oh, the King is coming. He is coming. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I just heard thank you, Lord. the trumpet sounding. And, and now his face I see. The key is coming. Oh, the key is coming. Praise God. He's coming. Lift our hands to heaven and worship the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, we worship you, Jesus. You're great and you're mighty. Greatly to be praised are you, Lord. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You see, not only are the dead in Christ going to be changed and burst those graves wide open, but we're also going to be changed to go with them. And when we go to be with the Lord, it's going to be a time of great glory and celebration. And our rewards will be given at that time. Nothing we've ever done for the Lord will go unrewarded. You may, you may think nobody noticed how hard you were working for the Lord and all you were doing. And you may think, no, nobody, you know, nobody patted me on the back, nobody put my name in the bulletin. And, you know, the pastor didn't even acknowledge. Okay, I've got news for you. There is one who's keeping an account and he's got a great big ledger and he knows for all that you've done every time you've encouraged every time you smiled when you could have been frowning every time you prayed for someone when you could have been cursing them every time that you loved every time that you gave every time that you ministered and talked and shared and witnessed uh, listen there's, there's no good work for the Lord that will go unrewarded Matthew 16, 27, for the Lord, the Son of Man, shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Isn't that great? I'll give you a couple more. Every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. 1 John 3, 8. 
1 Corinthians 3 talks about um, our rewards, whether they're wood, hay, or stubble, or whether they're gold, silver, precious stones. That's largely due to our, our motivation. Why did we do that? Did I pray just so people would look at me and hear me? Or did I pray in secret because I needed to touch God? There's a difference. And it says, if any man's work abide, he should receive a reward. See, some of us, when we get to heaven, our, our, we're going to be at the, the Bema, B-E-M-A, the Bema seat of Christ, which is like a judgment seat, a judge would sit on. And this is for believers. We're coming before him not to have our, our sins judged. We've already been judged, found guilty, uh, repented, been born again. Is that right? Is that right? So because we're born again, we will come before the Lord at this Bema seat and our works will be tried. Yikes. <laughs> and the heart of man will be laid bare before him who knows all, knows all things. Well, let's see, Mickey, you, uh, you preached that sermon uh, so that people's lives can be changed and you preached my word. So that is gold, precious stones, and silver. Good. But you just spoke to that person and showed love to them because you were trying to impress them, make them your friend. That's the wrong motive. That's wood, hay, and stubble. And it's going to burn up. It's going to burn with fire. But Paul says if a man's work abides, he should receive a reward. If you can, if you can escape that, that fire. I mean, it's not like you and I are going to be in the fire. But our works are going to be tried by fire. Did you know that? Our works. And then he said in 1 Corinthians 9, if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. There's something about doing things willingly and unwillingly, is there not? Revelation 22 and 12, behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. Wow. I don't know about you, but I don't want my works to be burned by fire. I want them to abide. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me, please? If there's a person in this room, maybe you're even watching me online and uh, your heart's not right with God and you have never accepted Christ and his forgiveness, you've never been born into his family, which has never happened for you. Well, my friend, listen, I wanna tell you, we are so close to the end of this time frame. We're so close to the coming of the Lord. There's not time to mess around. If you're not as Christian, you need to get saved today, right now. This is the appointed hour. Today's the day. Today's the day. Don't, don't harden your heart. Don't turn away from God. Accept what he has for you today. If there's someone with me this morning, you'd say, Pastor, that's me. I am lost and I need prayer. Won't you just slip your hand up right where you're standing? Would you do that? Just lift your hand wherever you may be in this room. <clears throat> All right, or at home. I want you to pray this prayer with me out loud. I want to ask everyone to pray this prayer. And if you're, if you're serious with God, he will hear you. He can forgive you in a moment of time, an instant of time. Say this prayer out loud. Say, dear God, thank you for sending Jesus to die at the cross. I now confess that he is my Lord. And by raising him from the dead, you have given to me eternal life. All I need to do is trust in him, put my confidence in him, and turn from my wicked ways. And Lord, I, I do that now as your child. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen, amen. Come on, let's give God praise for those who watched online today and gave their hearts to the Lord and trusted him and grew closer to God. For those in this room, thank you, my friend. You're just a wonderful, wonderful group of people. And it's such a pleasure to share God's word and, and uh, just to preach and, and uh, share what's in my heart with you. Uh, this is, we're getting close. We're getting really, really close to the end. Um, if you love the Lord, say a good amen. I want to hear that. All right, just want to check, double check. Praise God. All right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to... Uh,
give the blessing of the day. And then I'd like for you to make a friend, all right? Would you do that before you leave? Introduce yourself to someone and uh, tell them you're glad that they're here and you'd like to get better acquainted with them. Maybe offer to take them out for pizza or something. That always works. All right, make a friend. Raise your hand for the blessing of the day. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you, give you his peace. May angels go before you and goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your life. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. All right, blessings, everybody. So